Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Health Shift. This is my podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. I'm here to help you make a shift. And please note that these discussions are not medical advice, nor should they be used in place of medical assessments and treatments. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Saad Olamat. Dr. Saad Olamat, PharmD, is a Taiwanese-Jordanian, first-generation American immigrant. He's a licensed pharmacist and educator of psychedelic medicine. He has worked with pharmaceutical companies, prescriber clinics, hospice and palliative care organizations, insurance groups, and other settings to enhance patient care. Dr. Saad is a community pharmacist manager and mental health advocate. His passion in advancing mental health outcomes led him to investigating psilocybin and other classical psychedelic compounds for tools as mental, spiritual, and emotional support agents. Dr. Saad serves as the vice president of the Psychedelic Club of Pittsburgh, co-founder of the Psychedelic Pharmacists Associations, and founder of Silo Health. He believes in ending the war on drugs and establishing equitable entheogenic regulatory frameworks. Wow, that is quite the mouthful. (laughs) To promote consumer safety, psychedelic integrity, ecological sustainability, sacred reciprocity, and healer inclusivity. Man, we are on the same page, I have to tell you. And in his free time, he enjoys socializing with friends, practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and spending time with his partner, Marielle. Welcome, Saad. I am so excited to have you on here today. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time today. And uh, I'm really excited for the conversation. Yeah, same here. And I I love the fact that we're both, you know, involved in both conventional healthcare training with an interest in safe and intentional potential with psilocybin. And I see this as an opportunity to learn and integrate really both sides of medicine. And it's interesting, you know, I'm I graduated undergrad in 79, 1979, grad school in 81, and I've always been sort of that person who's been the integrator between the conventional and the alternative, and it's not really even alternative, it's ancient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us your story, how you got to where you are today. Sure, of course. Uh, and again, thank you so much for just hosting this platform and trying to do, I mean, doing your part and yeah, uh, bridging these gaps. Um, it's, it's just it's such an important thing as a healthcare professional, as a clinician, but also just as a person, you know, we all are, we are all tied together with our well-being, our health. That's the common, that's the commonality across us all. So it's like, how do we, you know, share more options so that way we can, you know, benefit as many people possible. So again, thank you for just having this podcast in the first place. You are so welcome. Yes. Yeah. So I got here, um, started with pharmacy school. I mean, really pharmacy school for me was First time I became an independent, you know, adult, uh, four hours away from home. I have no immediate family in, in uh, Pittsburgh, where I'm currently living. And I found a lot of isolation trying to cram for exams and uh, studying a lot about the pharmacology, how to, and how, to count, how to counsel patients, a lot of side effect management, how medications work, you know, basic, you know, human uh, pathophysiology just, you know, getting, trying to get my doctorate degree. And in the pursuit of that doctorate degree, uh, I diagnosed myself with uh, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. I realized that I've been really trying, I've been really shying away from my emotions mm. and uh, not doing my due diligence and taking 
you know, taking identifying these emotions, identifying these traumas I've had. And uh, when I wanted to find help, I, I didn't have the time nor the funds to do so. I was in pharmacy school, juggling a couple jobs at the time. I was a, I was a server at a brunch place called Waffles and Caffeinated, <laughs> where I served <laughs> the gourmet, gourmet waffles to people. And then I also was a, a pharmacy intern uh, while being a full-time student. So it was a lot to juggle. And uh, I realized that I didn't want to go down the conventional path of uh, antidepressants or anxiolytics uh, for my symptom management. Uh, I, I really felt that I could find a, an, uh, an alternative. And you say alternative is actually ancient. And right. <laughs> you know, the tool that I was able to come across was psilocybin. Um, leading into this, this decision to pursue this you know, ancient tool for, for uh, wellness and, and mental support, I did a lot of research about, about a year prior going into it, just following my curiosity. I read a lot of Terrence McKenna, who I highly recommend anyone just to check him out. He's a, a really cool, really cool guy with a really, really awesome ideas. Uh, he has this one uh, hypothesis called the stoned ape hypothesis, or stoned yes. ape theory, he called it. <laughs> right. So uh, essentially the idea is that he believed that a major contributing factor to uh, human evolution was due to the incorporation of psilocybin mushrooms into our uh, you know, ancient ancestors' diet. Mm -hmm. And for those that don't know, psilocybin is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms or psychedelic mushrooms. And uh, it is a you know, neuro... Uh, is it, is it, it, it mimics serotonin very similarly mm -hmm. in, uh, in terms of this chemical or neurochemical backbone, backbone, excuse me, it's a tryptamine based uh, neurotransmitter. And, uh, you know, these medicines have been used for thousands of years in ancient ceremony. So for me, you know, being interested in the cultural and anthropological evidence surrounding uh, this agent, but then also looking into the research done at Johns Hopkins, NYU, UCLA, uh, some of the more uh, some of the more recent research coming out of Imperial College of London, mm -hmm. all indicating that psilocybin is extremely safe. Right, there's no lethal there's no lethal dose recorded. It's uh, extremely accessible <laughs> at the time, um, and you know, for me, by by at that time, you know, I wasn't I'm not I wasn't I'm not a licensed professional at the time, so I decided to uh, pursue this experience, and it was completely life changing for me. Uh, it, uh, it shed a lot of layers that I sort of knew were there, but I didn't want to, didn't want to face. Mm -hmm. And I went into it with uh, a lot of preparation and intentions. I had this very important experience for me. And afterwards, it's as though the shackles I put on myself were just, just dissipated, gone. And I felt clarity for the first time. I, I felt like I could really take action on my life. And you know, I, I identified a lot of toxic behaviors. I identified a lot of, you know, negative relationships that I really wanted to continue to analyze. And then after some more time, I was able to make, you know, some healthy decision-making around my personal life, my social life, my physical life. I got into uh, um, intermittent fasting a lot more consistently after that. I, I got did a lot of research into the gut, gut microbiome and gut health. And that was just completely fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from there, I pursued a, a variety of leadership positions throughout my pharmacy school program. I uh, was elected as the president of the pediatric pharmacy advocacy group, vice president of the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. I was treasurer of uh, Phi Delta Chi. 
uh, our pharmacy fraternity and uh, international vice president of the American Pharmacists Association. And the way I looked at the experience is that it didn't you know, change me, but it just, it catalyzed me. It made me, it made me realize who I wanted to become. And then it gave me the perspective to, to make a, a more well-rounded decision to pursue self-actualization. Uh, so that's what, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, it's from there on out, like I stumbled upon a variety of different organizations, serendipitously came across the Seattle Psychedelic Society at a random coffee shop um, one day. Mm-hmm. I was uh, traveling around Seattle um, at, at a, during my time in a conference in Seattle. And I sat down and right next to me was this was the, was the Seattle Psychedelic Society. And that was actually the first time I felt comfortable talking to people about my personal experience. And that was over a year after that experience I had. Um, so yeah, from there, that, that's really what led me to uh, finding a, a deep passion in, in psychedelic medicine and the potential that psychedelic therapeutics can offer uh, people when it comes to mental health uh, and especially community. So what I'm doing right now is I'm building out Silo Health, a company that I founded uh, about a year and a half ago. And I'm also a co-founder of the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association. And as you mentioned, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm also helping out the local Pittsburgh community by serving as a vice president of our local chapter. My goodness. Wow. What, what an amazing story. And, you know, I have to say, so for you, it was about a year after. And for me, let's see, my first experience was in 2012. And that was during my own, um, just hitting a brick wall with leukemia. I had developed a rare leukemia the following year, Lyme, the following year, I got a staph infection. I was like, okay, so what is the world trying to tell me? Um, but I just actually opened up and started talking about my experiences, um, earlier this year. And it feels so liberating, um, because partly like you, you know, I'm really coming at this with intention for helping others to heal. There's no reason why we have to stay stuck, you know, with our own, uh, negative thought processes and looping thoughts and things like that. Um, and there's so much healing that can really take place from this. Um, I always use myself as the, as the guinea pig. I oftentimes say I'm the perfect poster child for functional medicine. Cause if there's a, if there's a challenge out there, I've had it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my, my own experiences with, uh, with psilocybin have, have been with microdosing. And again, it's such a subtle, subtle impact, but <clears throat> Uh, there's always so many different challenges in life. And yet I feel like, you know what, eh, I can manage that. And I'm much less anxious about all of that yeah. with my larger times, like yourself, that whole idea of setting intention and preparation, I think is something that's going to be absolutely part and parcel as we move forward with these medicines. Yes. And it's interesting. I was thinking yesterday about when we think about psychopharmacology, you know, psychiatry really did sort of a, a huge split probably about 30 years ago into becoming psychopharmacologists as opposed to psychiatrists that also did psychotherapy. Mm. And now I think we're kind of coming full circle back to that whole idea that, you know, we need to be doing the therapy work and the preparation um, while we're using these medicines. But yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's it's true that they kind of help you to peel the onion, so to speak. So tell us a little bit more about the, um, the 5-HTP, the, you know, the tryptamines, the 2A, the 2B's uh, receptors. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll speak about the 2A and 2B receptor uh, as it relates pr- uh, pretty well for psilocybin and other classical psychedelics, such as uh, LSD or uh, DMT, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
Yeah, psilocybin is actually a prodrug. Uh, for those who don't know, prodrug means that it's inactive, but it gets metabolized by the body to become active. Mm-hmm. And the active metabolite of psilocybin is psilocin. So it's just it's only missing a phosphorus group from the psilocybin compound. Mm-hmm. And that psilocin, that binds to the serotonin 2A receptor. That 2A receptor is essentially the psychedelic switch when it comes to uh, how these experiences work. Mm-hmm. And the 2A receptor is found predominantly in the cerebral cortex, the most advanced part of the brain, and also the most interconnected part of the brain when it comes to communicating with other regions. So when serotonin 2A receptors are activated by psilocin, that releases more glutamate, which is the excitatory neurotransmitter. So that way we see just a lot more activity going on in uh, the cerebral cortex, as well as in the, uh, the interconnectedness of the, of the brain as a whole. Uh, so you know, there's a lot more that we don't do. We, we do not really know. Uh, mm-hmm. we speak, there's a lot of folks speaking about the default mode network and how the default mode network slows down. And that's why we have this experience. Uh, however, when you look at alcohol, for example, the default mode network is also slowed down with alcohol consumption, but we don't see people going to the bar and having a, a sacred mystical experience where they <laughs> see God, right? <laughs> so so right. there's a lot more we need to do as uh, scientists, clinicians to one, spread, uh, sp- uh, stop the spread of misinformation, but also two, try and advocate for more research, uh, research capabilities so that way we can better understand what's mm. happening. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a little overview of the serotonin 2A receptor. The 2B receptor is more related to some of the potential side, side effects associated with psilocybin and other classical psychedelics. Uh, it's very theoretical. It's based off of the, um, some of the data that came out upon, uh, uh, with uh, fenfluramine or, de- or fenfen yep. back in the day. Yes. So I believe that was a weight loss drug used. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens, so essentially it binds to the serotonin 2B receptor. And you know, that's just a different uh, type of serotonin receptor, different, different serotonin receptor subtype. And what happened was that these patients that were taking fenfen, they ended up developing uh, cardiomyopathies, valvulopathy, which led to valvular heart disease, mitral regurgitation, and pulmonary hypertension. So all, essentially all things you just don't want. Right. Uh, they, pull, they pulled uh, FenFen from the market. And the issue with the 2B receptor now is that, you know, upon looking at these classical psychedelics, there is binding affinity to the, to the 2B receptor. Uh, LSD binds to the 2B receptor and psilocybin and psilocin also both bind to the 2B receptor. Mm-hmm. So the question is, okay, like how do we compare these psychedelics and their, their binding affinity and the potential for these issues to, you know, fenfluramine? And again, we just need more research. I, yeah. I don't think we really know. Um, of course, you know, when it comes to fenfluramine, you know, pharmaceutical grade product, that there is much higher binding affinity there. And then when you look at the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the evidence from the back in the day when, uh, they use a lot of the uh, LSD um, mm-hmm. on, on different patients. There's no, there's no, um, there's been no incidence of valvular heart disease in these patients that have been taking LSD uh, back in you know the 50s and 60s or so. Uh, so we don't really know what's going on there. Now, when it comes to comparing LSD and psilocybin or psilocin, LSD's binding affinity to the 2B receptor is much less than it is for psilocin. So again, mm-hmm. we just, we really don't know. So it's better, better to be safe when it comes to navigating these, uh, these, these products primarily because anyone with a 
you know, that has a, maybe a higher potential risk of uh, cardiovascular disease should maybe stray away for now, or at least consult their cardiologist, get, you know, some type of examinations done beforehand during, you know, mm-hmm. whether, whether they're microdosing or having an experience. And then like, you know, afterwards, just to see how things are going to make a better decision. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a little overview of the serotonin 2A receptor and serotonin 2B receptor. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, uh, being the, the geek that I am, um, I, I've been involved in doing genetic testing for a long time. And, and so one of the things that I'm curious about is if we do the genetic testing and take a look at, you know, the various systems, so cardiovascular system, and then also either uh, do blood testing or something like an organic acids test to see what's going on with coenzyme Q10, because we do know that CoQ10 is intimately involved with cardiomyopathy and any kind of heart muscle disorders. So I'm kind of wondering, like with other medications, if we supplement, you know, would that provide a positive effect? Same thing as adding in some magnesium. Um, And again, we just don't know. And part of it is because we're close, but we're not quite at the legal place yet. So how do we gather data? Um, And I just had a fascinating conversation with a woman here in San Diego who has started her own company and it's going to be an electronic health record where she's gathering data. I'll have to connect you with her, um, gathering, gathering data on the psychedelic substances so that, so that we can start to actually get that research data, um, in there while, you know, while these things are actually being looked at for FDA approval. So I'm super excited about it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 And I I think that I agree completely. Pharmacogenomics will have a huge impact when it comes to just better understanding how these compounds work, especially when it comes to you know, uh, the ways different agents are metabolized in the body and like receptor affinity, how many receptors there are. I think it'll be really great for, you know, dosing precision, side effect management, whole slew of things. So yeah, absolutely, I, I echo those thoughts completely. Absolutely. There's only one company that I know of that's actually doing psych- uh, psychiatric genomics. I, I mean, psychedelic genomics, hmm. um, but they're up in Canada. Uh, so I yeah. haven't been able to actually connect with uh, someone to speak with yet. Neither have um, I. Have you reached out to them? I, I have reached out them. twice. Yeah. 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 I have emailed them once. So <laughs> and I was like, there's no reply yet. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I use Genomind. I've used a number of different, uh, you know, the psychiatric group, because I worked in mental health for many years. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, I'm working with a company that does more food-based um, programs. I really like them, 3X4. Um, they're not really quite interested in getting into the psychedelic arena quite yet, which is unfortunate. Um, but I'm hoping I'll continue to knock on doors and see if we can get that because that I feel is going to be really predictive in figuring out which substance is going to be best for each individual. Totally. Yeah. 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 Very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. So I also understand that you are starting a peer integration group. So tell us a little bit about what you're going to be launching in that arena. Yeah. So there are a couple of things when it comes to that idea of peer integration. Uh, right now, what we are offering are uh, integration workshops. Mm-hmm. Where we have an integration specialist have a hold of space for anyone that is looking to process their experience collaboratively in, in a community-based setting. Uh, currently, they are, they are all virtual. But ideally, down the road, we're going to be able to start establishing these more in uh, different locations physically. Uh, the goal here is just to let people feel welcome to talk, discuss, and uh, help make meaning from their insights they've had. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's what we're doing actively. Uh, what we're excited and uh, going to be launching here in the future is what we call a psilocybin peer supporter certification program. So the, the goal here is to empower what we call healer inclusivity. 
right? The idea is that we don't think you need to be a clinician, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist to at least support someone's dose day, right? To witness someone's dose day, to sit with them, just mm-hmm. to make sure that they are psychologically, physiologically safe during their experience. Uh, when it comes to access and affordability, you know, I think that having peer supporters will go, will work hand in hand with promoting access and affordability. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why, don't, why should I be paying $40 an hour for someone to sit there in a room with me for three to five hours if my mother, who I already have an amazing relationship with, is willing to take this course and sit with me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like, so of course, and that's now, of course, there are, you know, uh, there's a variety of other things to take in consideration when it comes to navigating the, do- the dose day itself. But that's why we are putting this program together. So we talk a lot about what the roles of this supporter are. You know, mm-hmm. you are not a shaman. You're not a therapist. You're not a clinician. Like you are a peer supporter. You mm-hmm. are there for harm reduction purposes, knowing when and how to deescalate and also knowing when to call for help, help if necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about the history of psilocybin peer support uh, from the shamanic, you know, Kurundaran background up to the clinical trials. We speak about psilocybin neuropharmacology, uh, psilocybin utilization, side effect management, uh, navigating the arc of the psilocybin experience and what that arc looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we speak about the importance of preparation, so like intention setting, defining dose day logistics, as well as the importance of integration, you know, or a co- putting yourself back together after the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we highlight a lot of key elements, important elements regarding harm reduction and key into and uh, tying that into psychedelic harm reduction for planned and unplanned settings. So mm-hmm. planned settings meaning that, you know, when it's legal to do so, being able to support someone during their dose day or an unplanned setting, you know, if you are at a concert or festival and you find out someone's having a very challenging experience. Mm-hmm. So, and they, we, you ask their friends, oh yeah, they took, you know, psilocybin, uh, oh, hey, I'm a psilocybin peer supporter. Like I can actually help out right now. Sure. Uh, and then lastly, we speak a lot about how to adequately attend to your peer. You know, the big do's and do nots. For example, don't try to actively problem solve, you know, solve someone's problems in the midst, in the peak of their experience. Like that's mm-hmm. not what you're there for. Uh, so yeah, we're really excited to be putting this program together. It's a group of seven people, including myself, uh, we come from backgrounds and uh, psychotherapists, underground practitioners, neuroscientists. I'm a pharmacist again, and uh, we are very excited to to launch this. Um, the goal is for this to be completely open access, all mm-hmm. the content viewable for free, because again, education is as empowering as it gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually we want to be charging for a certificate of completion. So that way we can enroll people into an ongoing learning exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially a Slack group is what we're thinking right now, just so that way we can continuously build out um, and, uh, our knowledge base and also answer questions that people might have as a group. Yeah, that's wonderful. So uh, we're going to have to make sure to definitely get your contact information at the end so that people can um, can reach out. You know, yes. I've, I've personally been involved in um, a few peer support groups. One of them was called Adolescent Wellness. That was back in Wellesley. And that came about as a result of um, my older daughter experiencing six suicides before she even graduated high school. So it was pretty, pretty profound. Um, And then it seemed to be in neighboring towns as well. So it wasn't just in Wellesley, Mass, but a wonderful, very caring fellow who had struggled with uh, depression and anxiety his whole life, 
said, listen, I really want to get involved in all of this. And so many of us were, you know, part of the core team um, as mentors, but also that whole idea of expanding. Adolescent wellness is now around the world. So it's pretty fascinating how, again, this whole idea of peer mentorship makes such a difference. And the other one was, uh, was with Dr. James Gordon. I don't know if you happen to know him, but he's a psychiatrist. He started the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. I did his program a number of years ago. And, and again, that whole idea of peer mentorship and peer teaching is so important. And I was just attending another um, psychedelic wellness meeting with uh, Casey Garrett, who you know. Uh, yeah, I think we've, yeah. She, she is, is amazing. she's amazing. So we were on a call yesterday with a group of wonderful women around the country. And this whole idea of leadership styles. So I have my fingers in so many different piles. I'm reading up on leadership and, um, you know, are you closed-minded? Are you open-minded? What's your growth, you know, what's your growth set and all this type of thing. And the whole idea of really creating leadership from the ground up, but everybody having sort of equality within the, you know, within the group, I think is the way that, you know, we're moving towards, which is wonderful. So yeah, traditional systems are crumbling. <laughs> yeah, as they should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I would love for you to give us your three top tips for takeaway tips in terms of this navigating this healthcare healthcare shift. Yeah, of course. So as a this is a general healthcare advice. Then um, my tip number one will be is to be an active participant in your health with your clinician. You know, don't just sit there passively and just take what they give you, you know, ask questions, come with some research in mind or do your research on your own. Of course, don't become a cyber contract. It's the last thing you want to be doing, <laughs> but uh, do, do your research and really ask for, for professional advice if possible uh, for more than just one clinician too. I mm. think everyone comes from different backgrounds, have their own, have their own biases, have their own interests. Like, so being able to get different people's perspectives as well as being actively um, involved in your health, uh, your decision-making with your clinician. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of a really important tip to offer to anyone mm -hmm. uh, in, in healthcare. Um, a second tip I'd, re I'd recommend is to be proactive in your health versus reactive. So prevention is, like, is key here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we generally have a good idea about what's good for us and what isn't good for us. Of course, there's like always, you can look up data. Oh, is caffeine good for my eyesight. And they'll be like, Oh no, it was bad. But then <laughs> if you look up, Oh, is caffeine, you know, bad. You can, there's, all, there's always conflicting evidence depending on the research, depending on what you look up, but mm -hmm. generally we have a good idea of what's good and what's, what's not good for us. So I always just recommend, yeah, be proactive, take the necessary steps you need to preserve your, vit your vitality, you know, pr proactively. proactively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then lastly, my last tip is just to build a, a healthy relationship with your local community pharmacist. Uh, when it comes to an accessible healthcare professional, there's a Rite Aid, Walgreens, CVS all around many, many street corners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now with the COVID, with the pandemic going on, uh, I know pharmacy practice is, uh, is struggling because of the, uh, there's, a, there's a, lot, a lot of moving parts. But come in, if you have questions, ask. You know, the, our pharmacists, you know, we're, we're, I mean, I'm a community pharmacy manager. I worked yesterday and people come up and just, ask, ask the most interesting questions, but, but like that, they, they, they're, we're here for that. Pharmacists are here for that. So we, we can help you navigate the healthcare system as a whole. Uh, we are able to help have, uh, you know, really, really nice conversations about uh, over-the-counter recommendations, for example, 
Um, anything that we think we can answer, we'll do our best to. And generally we'll say, we don't know if we don't know. So always feel free to just reach out to your accessible healthcare professional in your area. I think that that's awesome because, you know, for many years, and I was just actually in contact with a, a compounding pharmacist out here in California, and we're going to meet next week. Um, I worked very closely with Johnson's Compounding Pharmacy there in Waltham, Massachusetts for years. And we had such a great relationship. Actually, we still do because I still have a lot of Boston clients. But um, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that's something that people don't often think about. And, and I oftentimes will say, go see your pharmacist rather than go talk to your doctor because you guys know the pharmacology of this stuff. The physicians don't necessarily know that, you know, they're just not necessarily trained in it. So yeah, that's a great tip. All three great tips. And it's interesting becoming a partner in your healthcare. Absolutely. I think that's a, a real, a real needed one right now for sure. So how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, my email address is sod at silohealth.co. Mm -hmm. uh, our website is silo health, uh, P S I L O health.co. There's also uh, an email contact uh, form on the website. Feel free to reach out there. We're active on social media as well at silo health. Um, you know, we're constantly posting content, sharing content. So I, I'm currently co-managing the social media. I'm on top of all the emails. So if there's anything on your mind, any questions you have, I'll always feel free to connect uh, via those outlets. Awesome. Awesome. That's wonderful. And thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom. That's awesome. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And if you like this podcast, please rate, review, and share with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. I'm on a mission to change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net, on Instagram at juliefreemanmindfulwellness, and on YouTube at juliefreemanfunctionalmedicinelahoya. Until next time.